Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo, and uh, today it's going to be me and uh, returning champ, Jeff Martin. How are you doing, Jeff? Uh, I'm kind of wishing that I had prepared the champ is here on a soundboard uh, for the <laughs> intro, but uh, I'm good. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take uh, the, the, the rip of a starter chord, because today we are going to be talking about none other than chain devils um this is a weird punk press book um this was written by matthew mitchell uh with amazing gross fantastic frenetic artwork you know wraparound artwork by i believe the credit is ira rat so uh in any case uh uh, the Jeff, uh, the art is uh, Buster Moody. Uh, oh, is it Buster Moody? Cover, my, my bad. Like graphic designer was Ira Rat. Ah, uh, okay. No, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. I was like looking at the uh, at the back. I was like, wait, why does it say Moody then? Problem solved or mystery? Uh, yeah, they put them for some reason. It. They they separated them in the yeah. Uh, well, any yeah. I see. I see it here in the um in the like uh, uh, copyright page and all that stuff. So yeah, in any case, um, so Jeff, would you say that if I were to just give like a very capsule description of this and say that uh, imagine if the 40K Space Marines just happened to be Ozark hillbillies with chainsaws, would that... I mean, granted, with chainsaws is somewhat redundant, I believe. I believe the Battle Brothers already have a chainsaw attached to their power armor. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty accurate as a high concept. Like, if you just pump them full of, uh, like, some sort of horrible mixture of meth and ketamine and whatever else they were describing in those <laughs> just piles of drugs they were shooting into themselves... Uh, uh, don't forget smoking, smoking like meth crystals out of like a weird uh, spine, a hollowed out spine. Oh, yeah. Uh, the the really disgusting scene where they smoke spinal fluid, ketamine, methamphetamines, and uh, I think some other stuff. Do, do you think that that was a, a stealth uh, adrenochrome uh, reference there? <laughs> oh maybe i don't know i, I didn't think yeah of that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not i'm just making shit up i mean honestly this is this is a very um i think we were just talking just before we started I, I believe we we i had mentioned that this is a very sort of goopy book uh there's lots of fluids oh everywhere. yeah yeah there sure are and they're so, all gross yes they're all very gross 
I mean, most fluids out of the human body are gross. There's a reason that there's skin to keep it all in. Yeah, it uh, turns out if you mix them together, they don't get less gross. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, who, who would have thought? <laughs> who would have thought it? Uh, but yeah, like I, I, I sort of, the minute I saw the cover art for this, uh, I immediately pre-ordered it and said, you know what, let's do let's do a little episode. Uh, I, it's it's a short read. It's like essentially like a novella length um, um, book. And uh, it's sort of just, you know, it, it's difficult to explain exactly what whether there's a plot here at all. Um, what did you what do you think about that, Jeff? Because honestly, I found it to be like each one of the chapters feels almost like a different sort of episodic type chap like thing that happened that is loosely connected to the previous and the following ones, but not exactly. Yeah, like it is in that way. It moves linearly for the most part, except for the the chapter yeah, where like the a big... is telling the story. Mm-hmm, right. uh, and like, I would say there is a plot but it's not a plot driven book it's mm-hmm. a book right. where like there there is a plot but it is definitely more of an experiential read than it is one where you're really focusing on the twists and turns of what's going to happen next it's more of a what's going to happen next in a like, how are they going to make it be more horrifying? <laughs> uh, and they always find a way. Yes, it's true. It's true. Uh, I will say that one of the things that struck me about this when I finished is that it felt very, very much like. Did you ever see the. Um, was it 78 or 79 uh, flick, The Warriors? Yes. Yeah. It feels a lot like that sort of structurally where it's like a lot of encounters, you know, scenarios that happen. And yes, like like you said, there, there's like a there's like a, a vague plot, you know, essentially the, the, the most basic of of them. Right. Which is you got to get to point A to point B. There's a mission that they need to go on. But it's it's almost like I, I believe almost at the beginning, it's not really that much of a spoiler. It's like almost at the beginning. They're told that basically they're they're essentially on a death march, you know. Yeah, um, it's in like the, you know, the first like 10 or 15 pages, you find out that like this mission that they're being sent on is one that is, you know, it, it's it's the kind of thing where like if they can do it, great. That'll be like a big benefit for their community and for their meth rations. But they're not expected to be able to do it. They're kind of just being put out to pasture in a way mm-hmm. that might be productive if they're more capable than everyone else thinks they are. Yeah. Yeah. And and so they are sort of like the the shock troops of what is the, the queen of the Ozarkian Empire or whatever. Uh, I, I really love that that this is sort of like a post-apocalyptic um, on top of everything else. Right. It, it's sort of like just sort of wild kitchen sink storytelling. But I never felt like it it any particular 
aspect of like that setting or the the background world building that happens it, it never felt like any of it wore out its welcome there was always something new and and sort of interesting and also very gross happening which is yeah there's a much worse version of this book i think where it's like 500 pages long and <laughs> you get a lot of details about you know, like, you get a lot of details about the society that has produced the Chain Devils, and you get, uh, like, a really in-depth explanation of the Bald Knob cultists and what mm-hmm. their religion is. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I I think the, the brevity of Chain Devils really helps the, uh, like, the kind of world-building that is being done, because mm-hmm. you're given you're almost given like imagination prompts and just enough information to kind of fill in what you think that is. Uh, And I find that more compelling, especially because it's riffing on so many different uh, kind of sources. And it also, I, I think really emphasizes that thing you you mentioned about feeling like the warriors where mm-hmm. there are a lot of factions and societies that are described that really have that kind of feel of the gangs and the warriors mm-hmm. where you understand yep. that there is a really distinct culture here but you never get an explanation of why that culture exists or how it works exactly you kind of just see <laughs> like the big picture of what this presents to an outsider and are left to try and figure out what that means. Yeah. I mean, I I think that, what is it? There's like, okay, so there's the chain devils, there's whatever, whatever the Ozarkian empire is, which we never get to see because they're, they, they're kept out in like these uh, cornfields the on the outskirts of, pain. of the, the field of pain. Um, but then, uh, I mean, let, let me, you know what? Let me, let me just give a little taste of that beginning because that, that is, it really does do a good job of sort of setting the, the stage I feel right. Uh, so it starts off, like you said, field of pain. At the southern entry of, to the field of pain, 33 hired militiamen smoked and whispered. The circular crop of corn, sheared into a vast maze, was all that separated them from the township beyond. The soldiers, if you could call them that, heard the first song just before sunset. Young, foolish, and armed to the teeth, they quivered in their pre-war boots at the voices which sprang from the cornfield, a chorus of men, not boys, who sang full-throated and with wild abandon. Bring us your brothers, your sons, and your saints. We'll carve out their hearts and send home the haints. The soldiers listened intently, hung on every word. They let their smokes burn to nubs and waited for the gassy bursts of chainsaws, wondered if the stories had been a hoax when no such engines were heard. There was quiet relief in that prospect, even as the song grew louder. Tell all their mothers not to stay awake. Their boys been swallowed by the field of pain. The militia captain, a former army brat called Bell, ordered the line forward. As the youngest among them, his comrades were distrustful of the boy's calculation, but to disobey an order from Bell would be to ignore the will of Chief Commander Larson, 
And so the troopers let their mutinous aspirations dissolve like the fading sunlight, for they had seen what became of deserters upon recapture at base and feared Larson's barbed whips more than those w- that waited within the corn. And so th- they're just waiting for the chain devils con- to come bursting through. And uh, and they do. Yeah, and they're they- essentially just like I actually really like that opening chapter. And it's something that uh, Mitchell goes back to a couple times where he will uh, really set up the violence of the Chain Devils through uh, a character that is not going to be in the book for very long. In this case, it's Captain (laughs) Bell. Uh, You'll get the Chain Devils' violence from an alternate perspective. And when we're with an outsider, yeah. Yeah, and when we're with the Chain Devils, it's usually when they're not really doing anything. You know, yep. when they're just like in, in, that, in camp uh, and marching and, and yeah, like, like in that hur- hurry up and wait type of uh, mode, you know, where they're sort of like waiting on orders or they're not sure what they're going to do. They're, they're sort of sitting around planning something or, or waiting for, for something to happen, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's a great insight because, uh, yeah, we do get to witness their like how horrible they are. And usually by someone who is basically going to become one of their victims. Yeah, and I think what I found really compelling about that as the book wore on was that the the image of the Chain Devils from the perspective of, of outsiders was so much more, uh, like, dangerous and... Uh, like mythical than when we actually get to see the chain devils because from their own perspective, the chain devils are a bunch of uh, near naked dudes uh, having uh, various stages of like withdrawal agonies because their drug rations aren't enough uh, and who are just sort of like just these like dregs and like shells of human beings that are just sort of barely kept going by the amount of meth they're smoking. Like they're, they're they're like, let's be clear here. Like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, I mean, obviously they are uh, sort of like pointed in the direction of something to enact incredible violence upon it, uh, which, you know, can't be good for them. Um, You know, like for your, for your mental well being, I'm sure that that's not fun. Um, but but also like you know, papered over or tried to glued together with drugs of all shapes and kinds, you know, like it, they 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 sort of complain at one point because they've been uh, they've gotten like some was it some I, I want to say demerits. It's not demerits. It's uh, oh, deductions. yeah, I always kept deductions. forgetting that word, too. It was uh, uh, deductions is what yeah, I yeah. believe is the word. Yeah. Uh, so they did deduct like their their meth <laughs> rations, and so like they they grumble about oh I got some hash you know, which you know obviously you don't want hash because it's sort of like a downer you know like weed's going to make you slow or, or whatever you know it doesn't really matter the the point being that they they are really agonizing over that plus on top of everything else they uh they're cannibals like yeah. legit cannibals. <laughs> Yeah, they don't. It, it's pretty explicit that they actually aren't 
fed by their I mean they're like it's talked about like they're an army unit that is that is organized in some way and supplied but it seems it seems pretty clear that other than being like pumped full of drugs they're not getting much in by way of supply and it is up to them to uh feed themselves and uh they and it seems like a lot of the other characters or societies i guess in the book are cannibals Yes. I mean, this is, uh, you know, like, what is the, there is a, I I hate to invoke this stupid website, but I I do like that there is a TV tropes. What is it? Is it crap sack world or crap sack future or something like that? Yeah, this is Uh, very much the like. This is, yeah, this is a little bit past the crap sack. (laughs) Further on, it's worse. Yeah, no, they they hit the turbo button once they got to crap sack and just zoomed right through. And this is just like, like, there's no sack anymore. It is just like heaps of shit with people maiming each other with chainsaws on top of it. God, could you imagine uh, Arlie Ermy in the role of one of the, like, uh, what is it, Thin Ruby, the old guy? Yeah, yeah, that that would be, man, I, I can't imagine trying to adapt this book into a I mean, movie yeah because it's, it's, like you couldn't shoot anything <laughs> yeah, there's there's everything's bad you know, like like uh, you know like there's drug use there's cannibalism there is uh obviously some homoeroticism which you know it par for the course uh but also what is it cannibalism uh just straight up murder of all sorts uh lots of goopy stuff uh, I, I think the, the the violence obviously could pass as long as you have like uh, if you make it sort of funny. Yeah, you could go funny or you could go like kind of the artsy horror way of like using the audio design and some really targeted imagery to mm-hmm. to sell the brutality, but without actually showing, uh, you know, like the guy getting his spine ripped out filled with drugs and then forcing another guy to smoke it. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a horrible, uh, you know, that's a horrible party prank. Don't ever do that at a party folks. Also, it's just wild that I said that out loud and it, I made up none of it. No, no, it's your, you are factually correct. These are things that are described in this book. <laughs> um, but but yeah, like it, it's it's pretty clear from the get go that the the chain devils are supposedly like ostensibly our protagonists, uh, and it's not like one person because you, you, as I was saying before, a lot of the uh, a lot of the 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 sort of like the the meandering nature of these uh, episodic chapters, if you want to call them exactly that, is that. Some of them are told from different points of view of like, you know, like I, I mentioned, what is it? Uh, there's uh shit. What is it? Jack Pace, who is like Jack Pace ostensibly is like kind of the main guy insofar as we follow him the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's El Casador. There's uh, Thin Ruby. Uh, briefly, uh, there's Stewie, who is basically we should have just call him Baby Stewie because that's his also his nickname. His his nickname is Baby. He and seems to yeah, because have, he's in a like uh, daddy daughter 
like BDSM relationship with Jack. Mm, true, yeah. Uh, but he's also it. It seems to me, and I, I maybe I'm misremembering, but it seems to me that he is also like uh, he may have suffered some brain damage of some sort as well. <laughs> he's yeah. He's either uh like developmentally disabled in some way or became uh like brain damaged or both yes but yeah, it, that, 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 that was sort yeah. of left unclear because he's not around that long yeah i mean uh, and and in fairness i do think that um that the end point uh of being a chain devil is you end up like stewie you know and then you die it almost feels like that is an endpoint that no one even considered. Like, it almost feels like Stewie might be a guy who survived past where anyone expected the endpoint of a Chain Devil to be. Uh, yeah. Because he's also described as being, like, huge and really strong. Yeah. Well, I mean, that I think that that's where, you know, like, the, the baby Stewie, baby Huey uh, comparison yeah. jumps out at me. Because I mean that that's one of the one of the funnier uh, like things about that that character now a very old timey character he's never been really re revived but Baby Huey was also like very large uh, didn't know his own strength and <laughs> just sort of dangerous in a dumb way yeah and that's very much what you get from Stewie until. Uh one of the other chain devils decides that uh uh they they could do with uh less dividing of rations <laughs> well they 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 end up dividing him uh bisecting him i think right yeah <laughs> and then that ends up also leading into one of the other really recurring uh themes in the book which is uh there are a bunch of these societies uh, and, like, almost all the ones that we spend any time with are these not super well... Well, no, they're they're really well described. We don't get into the details of, like, why or how exactly they work, but they're essentially, like, matriarchies, but seen entirely through, like, a femdom. Uh, kind of yep. lens, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I, I, the the one of the ones that stuck out to me is like just amazing. Like, uh, what is it? The Slut Knights. Oh I my god, I, I was. That's like one of my only disappointments with the book. Uh, <laughs> and it's one of those things that I. It's not even a real disappointment, but it's just the term was so funny to me, and the descriptions <laughs> of them that we got from that, like that one chapter where there's the, the, what is he? I think he's a glass blower. Mm -hmm. who, yeah, yeah. Uh, who ends up being captured by them. Like the descriptions of them are so ludicrous that I wanted, I wanted to see what they would be like if they appeared, but we kind of only get the, the devastation left in their wake. We don't really see them do anything. Well, well yeah, I think that the, the, the problem with that is that 
The way I understood it is that the Slut Knights are way much more like organized and uh like like they they seem and and let me clarify they're they're called that way because basically they're a bunch of uh essentially sex workers who also have taken uh you know their their self-defense uh in in their own hands and have sort of formed like a little order of their own um they're like a sex worker militia that is way better equipped than any of the other uh, gangs of idiot weirdos that we encounter, In, including the chain devils. If we're if we're really honest, right? Yeah, Which... the chain devils. On the interesting thing of, of like the chain devils are by reputation to like the other characters in the book. One of the scarier of these like weird armed gangs, but because we spend so much time with them, uh, and we don't see a ton of the other ones. All the other ones seem like they are more impressive in a, like, actual military capacity than the Chain Devils, who are kind of just, like, uh, you know, you wind them up and let them rip, and then Mm -hmm. either everything's dead, uh, and they eat it, or they're all dead. Yeah, exactly. And then you just, you just, you just sort of, like, raise another crop of them, if you will. Yeah, it seems uh, like they're not so much a, like, military in the sense that, like, the Slut Knights, the um, the Commando Larson faction, like, mm-hmm. some of these other factions feel like they are, uh, like, organized and have a plan of some kind. Whereas the Chain mm-hmm. Devils feel like they are, uh, um, they almost kind of feel like uh, in Warhammer, there is a, a concept in the uh, Sisters of Battle army called the Repentia, which Mm. are troopers that have made some kind of grievous mistake and have to repent. And the the mode of repentance is uh, giving them a chainsword, pointing them at the enemy, and if they survive that, they have been absolved. Hmm. So like a, a almost a, a a trial by combat uh type of situation. Yeah. Where, where they yeah, they point them at as sort of like a suicide mission type of situation and if they survive then uh, it's obvious that providence was on their side all along and so Yeah, essentially they're just like the the extremely space catholic suicide squad. <laughs> My goodness. Um, but yeah, I, that is more or less. Yeah, it definitely feels like that, but, but there's also shades because I think all of them are, are essentially child soldiers too. Uh, so, so that's, they've only known like the field of pain and these types of missions. Uh, that's all they've ever really known all their lives. Uh, so it, it does feel like when we're starting, it's already sort of like they're on the decline. They've been on the decline. Yeah, uh, for and, a while. and we see that through Thin Ruby, who you mentioned earlier, who is, as far as I can tell, the only one of the Chain Devils who remembers his life before he was a Chain Devil. Uh, we get we get his POV, I think, second most uh, to Jack mm-hmm. in the book, and he he talks about having lived before being a Chain Devil. 
and how, as a chain devil, his only desire at this point is to die. <laughs> well, you know, uh, th- that is certainly uh, certainly something that you would want for yourself if you've lived this long in that in that type of a situation. Uh, yeah, yeah, he he uh, he is definitely like someone that has a death wish and. Uh, you do get that a couple times because isn't he the one that sort of goes toe to toe with El Casador uh, later on? Uh, I forget. He, he is. Uh, he's not the one. There's another guy that goes that steps to El Casador first and mm-hmm. yeah. gets killed real hard. <laughs> yeah, uh, real hard. And then and then Thin Ruby kind of has a more simmering feud. Um, with El Cazador, who is also, like, the only, like, the only chain devil who feels like he's good at stuff. Yes. Well, yeah, yes, yes, he is. Uh, he, he's, actually, he's, he's, uh, I wonder if he's, like, is he the ranger of the, of the party? (laughs) Because he did get himself... He got himself like a gigantic dog uh, animal companion. <laughs> I think he is because he's before he gets the the giant dog, which is weird and not explained in a way that I really love. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just like he goes away at one point when they're everyone else is despairing because they think they're screwed because they realize the mission they've been sent on to die uh, isn't even going to kill them because they missed the battle. Uh, it happened already. Uh, <laughs> That's right. They they uh, they end up at uh, what is it? Teddy's. Teddy, uh, whatever Bud, his name is. Bud Temper. That's right. Yeah, Bud something. Yeah, and he's got the, like the this meth, meth king. <laughs> yeah, the because they get there and it turns out that if I'm remembering correctly, uh, the slut knights got there before them and just ransacked the place. Yeah, and it's just like completely. It's raised to the ground. Um, Bud Temper's corpse is impaled on a spike and horribly mutilated. Uh, and it's clear that uh, the Slut Knights have done it. And just like this whole place where that was supposed to be like the most, you know, where from the Chain Devil's perspective, all they know about this place is that it is almost completely impenetrable. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, it's like super fortified, full of guards, all that stuff. Yeah, like they're going to walk into uh, like an entire army with more troopers than them that is dug in and fortified and there's traps. And when they get there, it's just a crater with a guy on a spike. <laughs> and that's the point where El Cazador, while everyone else is, is wailing and despairing, just like wanders off. And when we see him later, he has a giant dog that he rides. Hey, look, I, I found a dog. <laughs> but he's also, I think, I think you're right that he is kind of supposed to be a ranger because he's the only one of them who has a real gun. Uh, and it seems like he's the only one that has any kind of trust from the uh, the queen to be competent because he's got their one rifle and all the ammo for it, which puts him as their scout as, you know, a ranger type and also as the most dangerous one of them 
because the, yeah, he can the, fight the most without, armed. <laughs> yeah, without being ripped out of his mind on meth. Well, also, like, uh, he, he would also probably take over the position of, like, being the gunner for for the, the entire troop, squad, whatever you want to call it exactly. Um, you know, because he's the one that has the guns. And, I mean, if he needs to dispense them somehow, he's in control of them. So, anyway. Yeah, it seems like there's... He's got the gun, and then the other, like, extremely Warhammer thing in name... And kind of in function is the their bolt bows, which are, as far as I can tell, just uh, some sort of launcher that fires pieces of rebar. I mean, that'll kill you. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, it sure sounds will. funny. <laughs> sounds funny, but it, it will kill you. It it seems like it's the kind of thing that also might kill the person who is firing it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, like. Rebar is heavy enough that that has to have some kind of exploding propellant. And I feel like these guys are also probably huffing some of it. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but you're absolutely correct. They're just like just huffing like the the the, the smoking barrel. Like, oh, yeah, because like I, just at first I go wild. I pictured the bolt bow as just like a like a bow and arrow. But then they described that it was shooting pieces of rebar. I'm like, oh, no, you can't really shoot that like a bow and arrow. It's way too heavy. So it has to be like a, a crossbow kind of situation with propellant. And also, if you give these guys any kind of powder, they're definitely going to try and smoke it. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, like it depends. I guess you could we could argue that if it's a short piece of rebar or if it's been sawed down, as, as you know, to, to be a bolt shape or size uh it could it could probably it's still very heavy that's true um, yeah that's a good point actually yeah if, if they did get it small enough they probably could fire it like a bow i yeah. just think that the image of firing a giant piece of rebar out of a bow is much funnier <laughs> well yeah i mean also just imagine like the the tensile strength of that fucking <laughs> that that bow right oh my god these it's guys like, must look look like mutants though if they're firing like trying to fire a thing like that because, like, they're all described as, like, skinny and emaciated, but those dudes must have just, like, arms that feel like they're carved out of granite. Yeah, like like one of those, uh, you know, like one of these old guys that just is j- just wiry. You could see every vein just, like, on, on, you know, crawling over their, their biceps because they're just so skinny and emaciated. Yeah, it looks uh, like one of those, the- like, body worlds exhibit. Uh, like <laughs> musculature, uh, dummies, is that, is, but moving. Is that, are those the ones that uh, that that are basically the plasticized um, organs and stuff? Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, just just the the thinnest skin over that. Just uh, it barely hides all the gross stuff happening under the skin. But but yeah, like also imagine that as well as. You know, some of them wearing essentially Oshkosh Bagosh coveralls, you know, filthy coveralls. They're filthy, naked underneath, because I, I believe at the at the beginning, they say that it's too it's still too warm to wear like any actual armor. So they're just wearing like if they're clothed, they're wearing like coveralls, basically. Yeah, there's it kind of hints at the fact that they have some kind of armor. 
but that for the most part when they're fighting they are it sounds like wearing loincloths or or coveralls and that's yeah, it. I'm guessing also that it's invoking like that old berserker uh thing you know where they're they're sort of naked and and po- probably greased down or whatever just and also just, drugged to hell and drugged to hell <laughs> just you know yeah just launched at in a particular direction with a chainsaw and maybe some other type of sharp thing because there's also like uh guys that are like secondary uh positions that are like basically hackers that have like a gigantic cleaver on a pole i think right yeah i uh i found those guys really interesting because that's one of the like thin ruby pov chapters and also Mm -hmm, one of the uh instances where you see the violence of the chain devils kind of externally because they they clearly don't have enough chainsaws for everybody so they have a bunch of guys that just have like various sizes of meat cleaver. And some of them, it sounds like, like you're saying have like fashioned them into some sort of halberd situation. Mm-hmm. And their role seems to be to go in, in the second wave and try and, and bash guys that are uh, like scrambling for cover or are injured already. Yeah. Yeah, f- f- finishing off like any stragglers, that type of thing. Yeah, that that that's the way I saw it. Also, uh, they they also have like what is it, Mule Boys, which sounds very much like it's a um, Master Blaster type of situation, you know. Uh, which are basically, I, I, these are just human steeds. They just carry guys on top of them. Yeah, the Mule Boys sound like um, they just turned. Like, the, the society has taken pony play to such an extreme that they have made pack animals. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about along those same lines, like that pony play type of thing. Uh, and that's really emphasized the first time we we kind of get a mule boy sort of explained, not explained really, but like when they're around enough that you kind of get a a sense of what they are when they're coming back from that first encounter in the field of pain, uh, and they encounter the, uh, um, I forget her name. There was like the, that armored lady who shows up. She's like a, Oh, like I a herald or yeah. something. And she shows up again at the end, mm-hmm. but she's got like real equipment. Like she's, it sounds like she's got a suit of armor uh, like real weapons and she is clearly ranked well above the chain devils. Um, but yeah, she rides on just the back of a guy. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it is, it is very strange. And, and also the mule boys are uh, expendable very much so. Yeah. It like, seems like they're, they they actually do really seem like they are treated exactly like mules on a, you know, some kind of long expedition where they are, you want to take care of them for as long as you can spare the resources to, because they are making your job a lot easier mm-hmm. by carrying yep. all the heavy shit. But if you get hungry and there's nothing else to eat, they're going to be first well, on the list. Yep. Um, 
the courier is simply called the courier. Uh, the, 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 the lady you mentioned earlier, which, yeah, she is like, she has like a, she's wearing armor of some sort or greaves uh, in a couple of, in the, in the few uh, instances we see her. Uh, and, and like you said, like she is basically, she's, she's the mouth of the queen, if you will. Right. Yeah. Uh, at least to the chain devils and by proxy us. She's she's mm-hmm. as close as we get to uh the queen. Yeah. Um so uh let me think here because also there's like the the I I love that uh when the cazador takes you know finds the dog. Uh so this happens about halfway through that they they uh they're they're marching along and this happens I believe it's is it after the they find that Bud Temper's camp is uh, raised to the ground, they they run up uh, against the bald the bald knob cultists. The bald knob, the first bald knob cultists show up when they're on the way to Bud Temper's camp. That's it, yeah. And that's where they they first show up with their uh, boombox and drugs, and uh, we start seeing like, okay. They're these like weird religious guys. Maybe we don't actually really get any sense of, or at least I didn't really get any sense of religiosity from them. Uh, I mean, it it's it seems that their religion is do drugs and then do crimes, which <laughs> that, you know, yeah, fair enough. But also by that standard, how is this a different like yeah, way it, of operating than anybody else we've seen? We so far we've been able to cut out the middleman. So why do we need the bald knobbers? Uh, because apparently there there's some some sort of uh, it feels like they're supposed to be like almost a a way to rein in or undo the chain devils, like like almost a, almost like they're a temptation put up, placed along their path to lead them to fail essentially. Yeah, and in like a bigger the bald knob occultists were actually the thing that I I found myself thinking about the most, um, because they are, I think, really thematically woven in to to the story, but they're also so weird and like kind of ethereal and enigmatic that it's hard to get a grasp on. <laughs> on what they what they are and what they are meant to be communicating but they're yeah like they they show up and it seems like in the context of the world the bald knob cult is something that these other factions we hear about is either afraid to run afoul of or respects and wants to keep good relations with um yeah but it is completely unclear why because these guys are just like weird asshole gremlins <laughs> they are they are so so you you said uh because i i was laughing when you were saying oh they're they're so ethereal and so on and so forth because what um i, I believe that one of the first things that one of them do is they they hold the boombox over their heads and then they sort of like uh, play act or mime marching. 
to sort of indicate what they want the chain devils to do, which is basically to follow. And, and in my mind, for whatever reason, because they, they, they wear like these essentially ski masks with horns on them. Yeah. Um, There's one on, on the back cover mm -hmm, uh, that is delightfully gross looking. (laughs) Yes, Uh, Yes. But, but that, that movement in my mind, for whatever reason, what, I immediately jumped to is like, like clerks, heiress, Kevin Smith and Jay. (laughs) They're they're like a Jay and silent Bob, but they're both silent. (laughs) It's just like, just weirdos, just fucking weirdos that are just there. And you don't know why they're there, but they're there for, to offer drugs and sort of like weirdly, like they they want to. Uh, that's one of the things that El Casado says, like peace, fuck off, and he runs off with the giant dog because they immediately want the giant dog for some sort of weird sacrifice. He's like, mm, yeah, fuck you. Yeah, that's their their kind of like exit scene because when they first show up, we get that scene where they're the ones who uh, immediately murder one of the chain devils rip out his spine, fill it with drugs, and force Jack to smoke it. And that really sort of sets up that, like, no, these these guys are in charge now. Like, this is this is who people are going to listen to, because no one is listening to Thin Ruby's uh, <laughs> real, like, saying what the reader is thinking advice of, like, there's two of them, and there's a hundred of us. Let's just kill them. Yes, exactly. Like he, he is absolutely correct. You know, <laughs> they could have just been like, you know what? Uh, bye. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the only reason that anyone else gets on board really is because, uh, later on, like they want El Cazador's dog. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that is like, they, they've pushed so much by that point that that is the the kind of last straw and Thin Ruby is also kind of at the point of like he's he's sort of on the outs and and mm-hmm. sees an opportunity to either regain his status or just get killed and he kind of does both uh, <laughs> by just cutting one of the bald knob guys right in half the long way. There you go. Bisected lengthwise, baby. And then the other guy stabs the shit out of him. Mm, yeah. But I mean, he, they, they try to go after him and doesn't he like just basically hop off and, and like fuck off into the, into the surrounding wilderness or whatever. Yeah. Uh, he kind of just goes away and then we don't see him anymore. Yeah, I mean, I I, I get the, I, if I remember correctly, he does flee, uh, so you get the satisfaction of seeing like, oh yeah, the bald knobber, bald knob co- uh, cultists definitely uh, they they know fear at least. So yeah, uh, because up until that point, they had been like you said, they had been so in charge of everything, and the chain devils reacted like in fear to them. Uh, that you thought, well, shit, you know, th- these guys just, they never, they never break. And that was the, the moment that you get to see one of them break. And he's like, just flees. Um, but, uh, 
but yeah, like, I guess we should probably get to the flashback because like there is a point where, uh, where Jack basically becomes completely like he gets, I forget, does he get banished from them or he just loses track of them? I forget. He, he wanders off into the wilderness. Right? Yeah. He kind of, so it's after that, that sequence with the, um, uh, with the, the bald knobbers wanting to steal the dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, there's a fight uh and uh yeah okay here it is um so uh one of the bald knobbers uh gets like cut in half mm-hmm. uh by thin ruby and then the other one uh kills uh thin ruby with some really vigorous stabbing Uh, and then Jack kind of like loses it. And this is sort of the, he finally listens to thin Ruby as thin Ruby is dying. Mm, Uh, That's right. And Jack is like slamming his chainsaw into this, this bald knob cultist, uh, and describes it as the chain devil hacked at the cultist with his chainsaw slammed its gnashing teeth against flesh. Human mass morphed into liquid and spongy rubble. Jack bashed and carved until nothing was left but a lake of ooze on the trail. Blood fumes and bone smoke filled his withered lungs. When he was through, <laughs> Jack Pace turned back to his comrades, but found himself alone. Yeah. Don't forget that before that description, uh, he was it he whacked at the bald number's face, sliced it away from bone, mask and all. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He just like Jesus he rips Christ. that dude's face right off. <laughs> uh, yeah that 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 was that was like oh shit okay. There's a, a great sentence fragment: brains floating like pawn shit. <laughs> yes, excellent. Um, but yeah, like that's that's where then Jack like wanders off. He he's sort of like uh, he's almost like in a delirious state. He's he he thinks he's dead. So he goes ahead and he digs like a shallow grave for his chainsaw and buries it and runs up against like a crone in the woods who tells him, she tells him she's a witch. Right. Yeah. And then like, uh, sort of like embraces him, which, you know, it's the, the thing that struck me here is it's one of these moments where you, you're invited to just, quickly imagine what kind of actual childhood any one of these uh, murderous fuckers ever had, which is probably none. Uh, Yeah, they were probably like only really children insofar as they were like infants where you can't really mm -hmm. have them do anything. Yeah, exactly. And and the fact that she's sort of like embracing him, that feel it, it definitely feels in that moment, it feels like, oh, this is like possibly the only like human contact he's had that is not like violence, essentially. Yeah, there's this there's this really uh, like kind of laced throughout. There's this desperation in the background for a like nurturing mother figure 
that kind of kind of connects with the like the fact that all the societies we see are they're like femdom based so you have a uh like dominant female figure but they are sort of cruel and violent typically yeah distant cold all that good stuff because like their their surrogate mother figure in throughout all this is basically the queen right yeah Uh, and and they only interact with her via the courier mm -hmm, exactly so like they they don't even get to see their mom you know their their surrogate mom they don't even get to see her they only see her via proxies so there's there's like no real affection uh and so it it makes perfect sense that he'd sort of like fall um sort of like pray to that kind that, that type of kindness and uh, physicality and uh, i forget like she uh, she tells him like the backstory of how the bald uh, bald up cultist came to be right yeah she tells and it's interesting because this is the longest chapter in the book by oh yeah by like by a, a large margin because yeah. most of these chapters are like like three pages three, yeah three four pages max maybe yeah like when you read that excerpt from the beginning uh, that was I the, you almost were the entire read the whole chapter. First chapter because you only had like two <laughs> paragraphs left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that is absolutely true. It's like just maybe two two pages right there. Uh, but yeah, you're right. This is like a almost like twenty pages long, and it's like, damn, okay. Which yeah, which is like like almost a quarter of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's yeah, about it, this. It, the, we get this like warlock character, I guess. This sort of like magic maybe uh kind kind of character who who takes over and is our like that that's the point of view we're getting and we get the story of uh him finding this uh this tree this sort of like sacred tree uh and coming into uh like sort of violence with the the founders of the bald knob cult. Mm-hmm. And and then he, he sort of like uh, gets like swallowed by the tree because that's the, that's the other thing that the tree is, it was the tree he finds, it becomes a stump, right? They yeah. burn it down, but the tree is still, it, it's almost like the tree is like some sort of weird cosmic horror type of monster thing. Uh, because it swallows him, like it grabs him by the head, you know, like I guess Lord of the Rings style. <laughs> He's just like, yep, you're, you're getting in, inside the tree with me. Yeah, uh, and he for, at first he's trying, like, he seems to know that this is not a great idea, but at that point he has mortally wounded the founder of the Bald Knob cult and his henchmen are closing in and so Eli thinks like this might be my only my only hope here mm-hmm. and sort of like lets the tree pull him inside of it uh, he sort and of m- melds with the tree yeah to the point where the last time Eli is referenced is as Eli the tree mm-hmm well, he, he, like in that flashback, he he sort of material. The tree is is back to its you know its its former glory. You know, 
and uh, weirdly, Eli's face is in sort of like embedded in the bark of it. Uh, and then he just basically kills the other, he kills the fuck out of the other two remaining guys there. Yeah, and no, then I'm the sorry, other he kills just like he kills. Yeah, he kills up. one, and then the other one uh, is able to escape. I suppose, yeah. right? Yeah, and then that's where the the other one like explicitly abandons the founder of the Bald Knobbers to die. Because uh, he's been mortally wounded by being kicked by an actual mule. Yes, that's right. Which is actually like one of the, I think, really n- nice touches is that to show this is the past, there are no, mm-hmm. you know, mule boys aren't a thing yet. They still have yeah. animals. Yeah, yeah. It, it feels very, um, very sort of like uh, uh, wild, not wild west, but definitely like new west at the very least, you know. Um, it, it has that feeling uh in in that flashback so yeah you're you're absolutely right um yeah it, it is wild that 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 is such a long chapter and it's just like yep this guy got eaten by a tree and then became part of the tree then and i spent he, the rest of the book thinking tree. like just trying to figure out like wait what was that because the first line <laughs> we get after that story we get a they have these cool little like chapter break images. Uh, and then now tell me the goddess said, what have you learned? I'm not sure yeah. he replied. And I was like, Oh no, am I as stupid as Jack pace? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's all, I, I mean, I, I really respect this because it, it, it doesn't feel like it, it doesn't feel like it's explaining anything, but it feels like it fits somehow. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because it's it, it, in that like worst version of this that I I referenced earlier. This is like really illuminating of the the motivations and culture of the bald knobbers in a more sort of straightforward like almost didactic way mm-hmm. uh, of like, here are, here are like the rules and norms of the bald knob cult. Uh, but in this case, it's more of a, like, here's a look into the mythic past of this weird version of like rural Arkansas. Mm-hmm. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was Missouri. Uh, I think uh, at that point, because oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But tempers in Arkansas, so they're in. Yeah, you're right. They they cross they crossed over into yeah, the Arkansas and, and territory or whatever. Also, I found out that Bald Knob is actually like a location in Arkansas. Ah, uh, okay, okay, that makes sense. Uh, in the meantime, twelve uh, year old the twelve year old that lives in my brain keeps on you know. Uh, giggling like a beavis and butthead, you know, <laughs> bald knob. That um, seems like a thousand percent intentional, though. Oh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> They're bob, bald knob uh, cultists, and you're like, aha, are you now? <laughs> so, so let's let's talk a little bit about the ending because uh, I, I feel like this felt very um, Dark Souls. <laughs> Interesting. You want to do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? I'm not like a so, super super souls illiterate. Gotcha. Okay. So so I mean, get, granted, I, I 
it, Dark Souls for me is very much like Baby Boss, you know, sometimes. So bear with me. <laughs> Uh, so, so one of the things that at the very least I've played the first Dark Souls, uh, and what happens is that at the end of it, it, it turns out that you are then become the new version of the guy who protects the bonfire at the end. That That's sort of like keeping things limping along in that world. Right. Uh, or, or you choose to then not rekindle the fire and the world falls into darkness uh the age of man has begun that type of thing right so uh in this the they essentially jack gets gets sold off like the witch uh that he encounters sort of like does revive him but immediately like sells him off to uh like essentially a trafficker uh and he he's able to make it. I mean, we could we could get into details, but really the the end of it is that he ends up making it back to like the old field of pain, like the cornfields where they started, where they meet the courier. And like you said, again, he gets back after all the fighting stopped, like and, and in fact, the chain devils didn't do shit. Like, yeah, they uh, they kind of. Yeah, it, it talks about a battle that he has missed where the the Chain Devils have been destroyed by Commando Larson, but that the other military forces that we know sort of exist under the Queen's control uh, well, like annihilated has- Larson's faction. He- yeah, it, it seemed to me that uh, the queen does have like almost like her personal guard called the River Maidens. Uh, I mean, we don't know that she has a personal guard, but they're called the River Maidens, capital R, capital M. The courier mentions them, and it does it it does definitely feel like either there's a, a force that's directly under the thumb of the queen, or her perhaps her own personal guard type of thing, you know. Yeah, they're sort of our indication. Them and the courier are our indication that the Chain Devils are not the entire military of this region. They are like a component of it and not mm-hmm. a particularly important component, but a like yeah. kind of useful terror weapon. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, it would be like very sloppy SEAL teams or, or just regular SEAL teams <laughs> in any case. Um that type of like that type of cachet or like a green beret or commandos, you know, that type of thing, like that type of um, mythologizing that that accompanies them is it, it is something that feels like is similar to what the chain devils have. Yeah, uh, which is that mainly like- that they're that they're sort of like rumors of them and their what is what's the phrase I'm looking for by uh, reputation. Oh, yeah, they're preceded, uh, preceded by their them. reputation. Yes. Uh, but they've seen, you know, they, they've obviously seen better days by the time we start this. Uh, and, and I just found it really interesting because at the end, it turns out that they need they need to replace one of the bald knob cultists. And it's Jack Pace who becomes one. So that that ending. At first, I was like, this is a really weird, weird ending. And the more I thought about it, 
the more I think the last, like, maybe, like, two chapters are mm-hmm. just, like, Jack's, like, fevered death visions. And I I kind of think, or at least, my like, my interpretation of the ending is that anything that happened after the courier left Jack, like, tied up outside the wall for a little bit, Mm-hmm. is just, like, Jack's last thoughts before he passes out and dies. Hmm. Because we get, uh, you know, he, he goes into town, and there's, like, a Halloween parade happening, and, uh, you know, the the other chain devils are there dressed as bald knob cultists. And mm, okay. and Thin Ruby puts the mask on him, uh, which is which is the point where I started thinking like I think this is, uh, you know, like I think I think he's hallucinating, or like this is in his mind. This isn't what is actually happening. Uh, yeah, that that that's kind of where I where I landed on it. Oh, that's interesting. So, yeah, I I have to say that I, I sort of, I guess I just took it completely literally what was happening. So maybe, I mean, honestly, it could go either way. It really, it really can. Like, this is just like a, a, an entire book that is just like psychedelic violence. So, <laughs> yeah. And like, I think, I think there is support for multiple interpretations of the ending. Like, I think it is. Uh, the the entire book gives you enough leeway to use your imagination that I think you can, like the, I think like if uh, if Kurt had been able to be here, I wouldn't be surprised if he had another third mm. interpretation of the ending that was like completely separate from what we've just said. It's very possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, but yeah, like I I I really sort of uh enjoyed the read. Uh. It went by much quicker than I expected because yeah. so so what I want to say is that I started reading this way before we, you know, before we record, we started recording and I sort I think I got to the flashback chapter and sort of like just I don't know what it was. I just set it down. And then by the time I got I picked it back up, I was like, fuck, I don't remember shit. <laughs> So I, I started it again and like within a couple of days I was done. I was like, okay. And, and that was only because I, I had other stuff come up, you know, it, yeah, it's a like, very short read. I, I am not a, a fast reader particularly, but like, I think I finished this in like a day and a half. Like it's, yeah. it's both not very long and it reads really quickly like it just mm-hmm. kind of keeps moving and has a a propulsiveness where you want to find out what weird fucked up thing is is around the corner. Yeah. yeah. I I will say that there are like for all that I enjoyed this very much. I did find there for me at least there was a couple of instances where the language was a little too much. Like a little too ornate, not not ornate. I think it's a a combination of 
like trying to find new ways to say something straightforwardly, which is a style is fine. It might not initially might've bumped up against it. So I just wanted to point that out because it's, it's only, it only bothered me a little bit at the beginning. And then by then, you know, you realize, okay, this is sort of the voice of the book. Fuck it. It, it you know, you can, you can work with it. And, and I honestly, I think it's a, it's a, it's an interesting riff. It sort of remixes and combines a couple of different sort of things that, you know, we, we joked about at the beginning that are already familiar to sort of nerddom in general and remix it in a way that feels really fresh. Yeah. Like it, it was interesting when, when I read the sort of the list of influences going into it, um, like most of those things are, are things that I was familiar with. Um, and it was really interesting to come out of the book feeling like, yeah, I get those comparisons and I could see how liking those source materials would definitely lead to someone writing this book, but it also doesn't feel like those things uh, in a like in in sort of the deeper sense of the book like the a lot of those things feel like they are sort of the the surface level like window dressings uh as opposed to you know really feel you know like as opposed to feeling like no this is a riff on warhammer mm-hmm. it's more like this is kind of its own thing but mm-hmm. you can tell the author likes warhammer oh yeah yeah well, that that's why I think it's it's interesting because he he has sort of recombined, uh, he, he's done a good job of recombining like some of those uh, influences, uh, in a way that you like like you said you can you can sort of see like if you squint you can sort of see the glint of you know what was underneath the the new paint job, but you you sort of don't want to because this is lots of fun in and of itself. Yeah, like this is more interesting than uh trying to like separate out the parts and see where they all came from, I think. Yeah. 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 And uh and, and so also I do want to point out that uh, we're already a little over, uh but I did want to point out that uh we will probably return to uh, talk a little bit more about Chain Devils, but in the context of the fact that uh, Matthew Mitchell made like basically a, a playlist of music, and we want to do a Podside Radio episode about that. So yeah, stay t- you found yeah, out stay tuned a, for that a soundtrack essentially because he did uh, it's organized by chapter, so each chapter essentially has a, a theme song on this playlist. Oh, hell yeah, and there are some like wildly varying uh <laughs> tracks on there okay i i am a big fan of eclectic stuff like that so i mean we'll, on we'll one end there's like a black metal track and on mm-hmm. the other end there's there's a zydeco song hell yeah zydeco death march uh music let's do it zydeco death march is a great band name <laughs> right <laughs> all right well anyway uh jeff thanks again for joining me and and reading this uh, uh under our our sort of like 
offhand charter of uh, calling you up about anything that um, is adjacent to Warhammer. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've become the uh, the Podside 40K correspondent. You, you're the subject matter expert for Warhammer <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, actually, outside of Kurt, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, like. Uh, by the way, Jeff, do you let let me give you a couple minutes to talk about what you're up to recently? Uh, I have been up to a lot recently. Uh, for reasons that are still not fully clear to myself, uh, <laughs> I took the opportunity to uh, start learning how to program video games a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has sort of escalated, uh, and I have uh, released my first game, uh, and I am looking up the URL for it now because I'm extremely prepared. <laughs> well, I'll fill in and say it's uh, it's called Space Jerks. It's a um, essentially a Space Invaders type of game with uh, new artwork. I believe this is artwork that you made, Jeff, right? Yeah, so I uh, I started with, um, I had done a, a like, th there's a ton of programming tutorials online and a lot of them are, here's how to, like, we're just gonna make this classic arcade game. Uh, and so I found one for Space Invaders and was like, that's cool, I like Space Invaders. Uh, and so I did the tutorial and I had a working version of Space Invaders that I had programmed. Uh, but then I started thinking like, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that I think could be like added on to this or modified. Uh, cause like by the end of it, I, I was actually getting to the, the level of confidence where I could, I could look at, you know, what was already present in the in the code and in the game and start thinking like okay well here's stuff that i think would make it better and i actually kind of know how to either how to do it or i have the vocabulary like the context specific vocabulary to look up how to do it and that kind of escalated into making uh space jerks which sort of takes the core gameplay of space invaders and then I uh, did all new art. Uh, so all the art is brand new. Um, I Because mo most versions of Space Invaders still use like the original. Like, yeah, the 8-bit eight, eight blocky. I don't even know design. if they're 8-bits. They're, they're well, yeah, you're tiny right, you're right. sprites. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I redo drew everything in, in HD. Um, designed a bunch of weird aliens. Uh, put a laser on top of a jeep uh, for the player character. There's uh, there's a sort of like cityscape background, uh, and then I I tweaked the gameplay a bunch to add um, a bit more of a, a modern feel to what is still sort of a classic. Here mm -hmm. is a whole bunch of aliens. Shoot them with lasers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm reminded of uh, the Futurama episode. Behold, the genius of me shooting through my shield. Oh man, you have no idea how often <laughs> I was thinking about that 
<laughs> like it's like a three minute sequence in that episode, but I feel like that was just running on a loop in my hind brain the entire time. I mean that that entire uh, it, it's it's what is it? It's one of those uh, uh, tales of interest. Uh, the, the the Futurama Treehouse of Horror version. Yeah, of, it's uh, uh it's the one hey. where uh, Lur takes over the planet Nintendo sixty four. <laughs> Oh man, you do not know how how much I enjoyed that stupid stupid episode. And I was like, oh yeah, I gotta listen to Rush now. Oh my god, yeah, no, I I definitely <laughs> like listened to Tom Sawyer a lot of times. Uh, uh, and actually, uh, when I was doing the the audio for it. Uh, which was actually interesting because I'd never done audio for any of the mm. sort of like the tutorial projects that I'd worked on. Uh, I realized like, oh, there's, there are so many video game sound effects out there. That's, mm. that's an overwhelming amount of choice that I don't really <laughs> want to deal with. Uh, so I ended up, uh, foleying all of the sound effects myself. Oh, uh, wow. By... Uh, I essentially plugged a, a headset mic into Audacity and made a lot of mouth sounds. Uh, just like making laser noises and explosions and stuff. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, by by the end, I had managed to get uh, like enough stuff recorded that I could tweak. And uh, it, it ended up sounding good, which was not mm. what I expected when I started doing it. Uh, I so, kind of thought it would be like, well, I'm going to do this and it's going to be very funny, but then I'm going to get real sound effects. Uh, but they, <laughs> they ended up staying and the only thing I replaced was the music. Because uh, doing the music uh, by like humming and beatboxing, <laughs> I, I'm not good enough at audio editing to make that work. Yeah, uh, you you didn't have the talent of a of a Michael Winslow, for instance, right? No, no, <laughs> that that would have uh, that would have sped things up a lot, I think. <laughs> well, yeah, I I was just laughing to myself because like I was imagining you making the sounds, and then immediately like fl I flashed back to myself as a kid, like drawing like these elaborate like. I don't know what it was like when I was like in grade school, I have these competitions with a friend of mine and we draw like these super elaborate, like battlefields, like side, like side, uh, sideways, uh, or, or what am, what's the, oh, like you take like two like, pieces of paper and push them together. Well, yeah, but then you put them together like a, a slice, uh, you know, like, how do you call that? Where you, you slice it sideways so you can see like, because uh, it would have like, like tunnels oh like a cross like, section yeah there we go that thank my goodness i i don't know where I, have i told you i write i know words lots are of hard words. man <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah like we would do that and then as i was drawing i'd be like making the sound effects like you know that type of thing or dinosaurs always you know you shriek like a dinosaur as you're drawing it I definitely, yeah, there there was that energy of being a little kid and just making sound effects <laughs> for your drawings or your action figures or whatever. And, like, That's I so still cool. do that when I'm drawing comics and doing the, like, the sound <laughs> effects lettering. Like, I'm making noises and then figuring out how to spell them. 
<laughs> That's amazing. Awesome. All right. Well, um, but yeah, uh, if uh, yeah, you have it, you have it up it on HIO, right? Yeah, it is uh, rentathug, which is all one word, uh, dot itch dot io. Uh, and you can get, uh, I have some comics up there as well. Uh, Hellink, the role playing game, which is based on a webcomic that I draw. Uh, and Burger Punk, uh, which we talked about uh, on Podside in the yes. uh, uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown episode. Yes, yes. Which, uh, full disclosure, I, I need to disclose this to uh, our, our, our patrons. I, I also have a small bit of fiction in there. Oh, yeah. Uh, as, well as, as well as Kurt. Yeah. Yeah, both of you guys. Kurt managed to figure out the uh, the hack to get himself a full page, <laughs> uh, which was to I, just have a lot of line breaks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's, it's very funny that uh, and by the way, thank you for accepting that that piece, because I in a world made of Bur- Borger, I wrote about the Noid. Yeah, I think you did, two. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I did correctly. one for the. Like uh, the I wanted to do one that was like for the uh, the weird was it the living meat uh, cultists or whatever. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. Anyway, I, I, I go check that out. Uh, Burger Punk is a lot of fun. Uh, the Space Jerks is a lot of fun. Just check out and, uh, anything that Jeff free, has, either in your browser yes. or uh, downloading it. All right. Well, Jeff, thanks again for for joining us, uh, and we'll be we'll be talking soon-ish enough again uh, for the soundtrack to this. And uh, hope to see you, talk to you soon, man. Hell yeah! Thanks for having me. All right, and everyone out there, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time here on Podside.